was like the, the olden days, you know, I grew up in the Enchia church, and then the Domini is up there somewhere, you know, he's up there, I'll work when he cancel. <laughs> he was a bit like that. There we go. All right. So this morning, uh, I wanted to share a couple of thoughts with you. I'm going to do this in English because I know we've got somebody from Canada. Yippee! And Chin is all excited. Chin is excited that we, uh, we're sharing in, a, in the heavenly language. Hey, Chin. <laughs> you know, a couple of weeks ago, we weren't here. Last week, we were up in Pretoria. We were visiting um, some family Got to see my, my parents for the first time in four years, and uh, my dad's turning 93, so, uh, you know, I knew I needed to get up there, because he's, uh, he's, he's getting older, and uh, yeah, what a privilege to, to still have my folks. My, my mom is turning 88, and uh, it was nice to see them, but um, the week before that, Cassie spoke a little bit about the Word. And he was talking about the way that uh, we needed to engage with the Word. And I was thinking and had conversations with people that we don't worship the text. We don't worship the Bible. We worship the Jesus of the Bible. And it's extremely important that we come to the Scriptures with the right attitude. That we come to the Scriptures with the attitude that the, the Scriptures need to lead us to Jesus. The Scriptures don't in and of itself, mean anything. It's just a book. It's just words. But if the Scriptures lead you as the message leads you to Jesus, then it starts meaning something, and it has real significance. And that's what the inspired Word of God is. It's the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that got people to pen something. And uh, I want to share two Scriptures with you this morning, and I wanted to just think with you on this birth of Jesus, because it's Christmas, and you know the 25th is coming up, and then we're going to have, we're going to celebrate the birth of Jesus, I thought, let's just, let's just think for a moment together what Jesus' birth is telling us, and see how God is communicating something to us uh, through His birth. So the first scripture I want to share with you is just from Hebrews. Hebrews is one of my favorite books of the Bible. I have spent a lot of time looking at Hebrews because it's such a significant book. All scriptures equally inspired, but not all of the messages of scripture would be equally important. There's some things in scripture that you're not allowed to do. If you find an Amalekite today, please don't slaughter him. You're not meant to be uh, killing Amalekites, but you know, that's what God demanded of the Israelites. So there's some things that are demanded in Scripture, that would be illegal, that you couldn't do today. But Hebrews is one of those magnificent homilies. It's a homily. It's a preach. It's a text that was left with us that really carries a lot of depth. And there's a lot of very deep message messages embedded in, in Hebrews. And I'm just going to read the first couple of verses. Hebrews 1 
One, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And once he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as his name, as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. So you would have noticed this morning, if you were listening, that Ruan mentioned that the name of Jesus is what he felt in his heart for this morning. There's power in the name of Jesus. Jesus wants to elevate himself. He wants to point us to him. He wants us to see him again in a new and a fresh way. And then... <laughs> Louis. Blank, blank, Louis. And then Louis came up and said that Moses saw this burning bush and God spoke to him during this incident from this burning bush. And I'm thinking, mm, I read that scripture yesterday. Because God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. And the way he spoke to Moses was from a burning bush, amongst other ways. But from a burning bush, very unique incident where Moses comes to this bush in the desert and God speaks to him. But before that, God spoke to Abram. And the Bible tells us that God's word came to Abram and God spoke to him and told him to do some things. You know, leave your country, leave your people and move off into this other direction and into this foreign land. But we don't quite know how God had spoken to him. I mean, how on earth did Abram know that this is God? But somehow, God spoke to him directly. And then God spoke to some of the other prophets. Well, he spoke to all the prophets. But in, in various ways, he spoke to all these prophets. And I'm always thinking of Elijah. Elijah really heard the word of God. As God was speaking to him. He really knew what God's message was for the people. You remember the story of how Elijah was fighting the prophets of Baal. And these 400 plus prophets that he was opposing and saying to them, you, you do this and you do that. But, but God, he knew what God had spoken to him. And they were cutting themselves and calling upon their God and trying to get the sacrifice to burn and nothing would happen. And then Elijah steps up because he knew what God had spoken to him. Elijah steps up and he calls on the living God, the real God, the true God. Fire falls down from heaven and it consumes everything. It consumes the altar itself. So Elijah really heard the word of God. But when Elijah's in trouble, he's in this cave. And when he's in this cave, he wants to hear the voice of God. And God says, come and stand at the entrance of the cave. And then there's a a massive earthquake, and there's fire, and there are all these, these signs of the power of the universe, of the power of nature, and Elijah just hears nothing. And then there's the gentleness of a quiet whisper, and God is in the gentleness of the quiet whisper, and Elijah covers himself, and then he starts by running off in another direction and fulfilling God's will. But the point is that the father's voice came to him in a 
gentle and quiet whisper. So in various ways, God spoke to the prophets at many times during our history. And then it says here in Hebrews, but the final word, the final word in these last days, and if you read carefully, the last days started when Jesus came. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So if you're wondering whether you're living in the last days, yes, you are. The last days started when Jesus came. When Jesus came, he said the last word of God that came to mankind came through the Lord Jesus. So the scriptures have to take us to Jesus. The scriptures in and of themselves should not be worshipped. We don't worship the text. We worship the God of the text. We worship Jesus. And then I want to read to you another passage because I want to have a little bit of a look at how Jesus spoke to us through his birth. It's a little bit overwhelming because there's so much here that uh, I want to try and package this into the two hours that I have this morning. I told my son that uh, there's not going to be children's church, and it will just be a short service, so I can talk for two hours. I won't do that to you. But I want, want us just to spend maybe 15 minutes or so just to think about what the birth is telling us. So I want to read from uh, Matthew 1.18. Now, now, we've heard that God speaks. We've heard that God spoke in the past. He spoke in various ways, and we've seen that God his last word was through Jesus. The last word came through Jesus. And now he's communicating the final message to mankind. Is, communicating, is communicated through Jesus. So let's read from Matthew 1.18. And this is just the story. You're all familiar with it, I hope, of how Jesus was born. And this is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name, give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Joseph woke up. He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. This is a, a staggering passage, and it really should mean something for us and to us. And I want to point out just a couple of highlights in the passage that you can take home and that you can go then, then go and hopefully apply. But what I would like to, us to leave with today is that God communicates. God is not a quiet God. He's not silent. He communicates all the time. I'm going to show you some things that he's communicating from his birth. I, I hope it's things that would surprise you, and I hope it's things that wouldn't surprise you. But then beyond that, I want you and I to go home and to go and think about what is God communicating what, through Jesus to you in your life, thinking back upon the year, 
What is God communicating to you? What went well? What did not go well? What is there that needs to be adjusted? What is God pleased with? And what has He got planned for you for the new year? Because surely we don't want to stand here next year and spiritually be at the same place where we are at right now. Surely we want to move on. We people on pilgrimage, the psalmist tells us that psalmist tells us that I've set my heart on pilgrimage. Our hearts on pilgrimage. We are pilgrims in this world. We're just moving through. And next year, this time, we don't want to be where we are at right now. We want to move on. We want to grow. We want to grow in grace. Peter is writing his second letter. He talks about the people growing in grace and in the knowledge of God. That's what we want. And that knowledge, that word for knowledge, is experiential knowledge. So we must grow in our engagement with God and in our experience of Him and in our knowledge of Him. So here are some thoughts that I want to share with you. Jesus, the birth of Jesus is a historical fact. Have you thought about that? There are some people that argue that Jesus was not a real person. It's a historical fact that the person of Jesus was born and lived. It's documented. The Roman historian Tacitus documented it. The Jewish historian Josephus documented it. It is documented in ancient history that this person actually lived and was born. Tacitus had nothing to gain by sharing the fact that there was a person like Jesus that was born. He had no reason to document it except that it were a historical fact. And he was known for a person that really researched things carefully. And he's writing around the time that John is still alive. The late, the late uh, AD 90s, 93, 95, somewhere around there. So the fact that Jesus lived as a human being is documented here. And as a human, he was born. He was born in the flesh. So the second thing I want to say to you is that Jesus, from this passage, you can see he's a king. Can you see that Jesus is a king? Baby Jesus is a king. Well, there are some wise men that at some point bring gifts to Jesus' mom and dad, and they present the gifts, and the gifts are gold and frankincense, incense and myrrh. Myrrh, ne? Myrrh. And the gold represents the kingship of Jesus. They acknowledge Jesus as a great king. The, the myrrh that they bring to him acknowledges Jesus as a future savior. That's something that they used in the embalming of bodies. And it spoke about the fact that Jesus would become a sacrifice. The incense means that Jesus is a priest because the priests offered up sacrifices. Jesus is king, he's priest, he's savior all in one. And you see this all in his birth. When the prophet Isaiah, it says there in verse, in verse 23, the virgin will be with child. It says the, through the prophet it was spoken. That's the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah, we said previously that God communicates to the prophets. The prophets communicated the message. Isaiah made this statement. He said the virgin will be with child. And he was speaking to King Ahaz. 
And he was telling King Ahaz that you need to trust God. And Ahaz would not do that. He put his trust in another nation. So instead of trusting God and listening to Isaiah, he trusted in another nation to help them out. And then Isaiah said to him, God will give you a sign. And this sign to you is going to be a sign of judgment. In future, there's going to be a person that will be born from a virgin. And this person will be born miraculously. So we see Jesus' humanity in his birth. The Holy Spirit overshadows Mary, so there's no man involved. Totally miraculously, Jesus' conception takes place. The birth is not miraculous. The conception is miraculous. There's nothing special about the birth. <laughs> you know, if, 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 if uh, my wife told me that, uh, that she was pregnant, she was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, I would be a little bit suspicious. <laughs> the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, and she became pregnant. The birth of Jesus was always meant to be normal, but this birth conception sequence was meant to be miraculous. It was an intervention by God. So we see Jesus' humanity in his conception. You see it in his birth. He's born as a baby. He's born with arms and legs. He's born with a, a human personality. Jesus had emotions. Jesus had emotions. Jesus could be hungry. Jesus could be tired. Jesus did not know everything. Jesus said that the Father hadn't exposed to him when the second coming was going to take place. There are certain things Jesus did not know. What do the people say about me? Jesus does not know everything because he laid aside his prerogative, his right to be God, Philippians 2 tells us. He laid it aside. He had the right to know, but he laid it aside. So that uh, he would be able to function as a human being. This is very important because when Jesus when he, when he commits a miracle, when he produces these miracles, when he these incredible acts of power, he's operating as a human being empowered by the Holy Spirit. He's not, it's not a reflection of his deity. His deity was set aside. He laid aside his prerogative to be God. So we see Jesus' humanity. This is also incredibly important because it shows us that Jesus was sinless. When the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, there was no man involved. When there was no man involved, you must know it's an act of creation. When it's an act of creation, you must know that God is doing something really special and spectacular. And what he's doing is he's starting a new human race. Have you ever thought about this? Jesus is starting a new human race. Paul can tell us that sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And then calls Jesus the second Adam. In Adam all die, but in Christ all are made alive. When we see the conception and the birth of Jesus, we see that God is starting a new human race. And the new human race must be started with a person that is produced by God himself. Adam was produced by God himself. God created him. There's no human involved there. With Jesus, he's a second Adam. There's no man involved there. And the uh, other thing I wanted to tell you about the kingship, which is quite evident here, but maybe not so uh, 
not, not so obvious, is that Joseph, it says here that Joseph was, uh, to, he was, he was, Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. I want to go back to, to that because I, I think it is important to know this. They've just covered the genealogy here of, uh, of all these people that preceded Joseph. And it says he was pledged to be married to Joseph. But you'll see Joseph is in this genealogy. Joseph is in the genealogy of David. And the reason that that is important is because even though Joseph is betrothed to Mary, they haven't consummated the marriage yet. Now, marriage took place in three stages. Stage number one, you got engaged. Stage number two, you got betrothed. Stage number three, the marriage is consummated. When you are betrothed, the marriage is legal. It's a legal marriage. So at this point in time, see how God pays attention to the detail. Isn't this amazing? At this point in time, they are legally married. And legally, Jesus becomes the son of David. And it was always prophesied, actually, that there would be a prophet that would appear like Moses and he would be the son of David. So legally, Jesus, through Joseph, is the son of David at this point in time. So they betrothed. And for them to break that marriage off, that betrothal, it would take a divorce. You would have to divorce legally. It's very important because Jesus was always going to be a king like David. But David ruled over the nation, and David was, he was, uh, he had the power over the nation to be able to do what a king needs to do. But it's important for you and me because Jesus wants to do the same in your life and in my life. Jesus wants to rule in your life and in my life the same way that King David ruled the nation. So when you see the birth of Jesus, you think about somebody that's born as a king that's come to rule and reign in your life and in my life. Does it make sense? So he was biologically not the son of Joseph, but he was legally the son of Joseph. It was miraculous. It was a new Adam. Jesus is a new Adam. He starts a new human race. The humanity of Jesus is extremely important because Jesus is our forerunner. And by us participating in him, accepting him as Savior, we become part of that human race. You can only be part of two human races. You can be in Adam, the original Adam, which means you've got a problem because you're under judgment. Or you can be in the new Adam. He's the new Mr. Human Race. And he's the first fruits. He goes before us. He goes before us through the heavens, is seated at the right hand of the Father, as we just read. And then we get to participate in that in future. He was sinless. He was human. It says that we do not have a high priest, further on in Hebrews, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who was tested or tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet, he was without sin. And the reason he was able to do that is because 
Joseph wasn't involved, right? God created him as the new Adam. I've often wondered, you know, we often blame Adam, right, in the creation story. You know, if, if you were in paradise, if you were there in the Garden of Eden, you, you, you wouldn't have failed God. You, you, you know, we think that we wouldn't have done what Adam did. And don't you often think that way? Sometimes I think that way. I think, oh, I wonder if I would have done that. Yes, you would. That's why Jesus started a new human race. And that's why he did it this way, is because we failed. And in Adam, we all failed. Everything that happened to Adam happened to you and me. We were in him. We were, as it were, the seed in his loins at that stage. We still existed in him. And whatever happened to him happened to you and me. This propensity to sin, this propensity to rebel against God. It's all part of our, our human nature, our human flesh that we have to battle in this life. And Jesus had to fight the same battle. Now, you might, you might ask this question. Somebody once argued uh, the following question and said, but Jesus could not really have been tempted. But the Bible tells us that he was tested in every way, just as we are. And uh, I'm looking at Ruan this morning, who's a structural engineer, and I think of a bridge. And when a bridge takes a load, the bridge is meant to be able to carry lo the load. And as the bridge carries the load, you can load it heavier and heavier and heavier. You can put more load on it. And at some point... At some point, you're going to load the bridge to the extent that it actually fails. And then there's a failure in the structure. Bah! And the stru structure breaks. Now, Jesus never broke. So he was tested beyond what you and I ever got tested. Because he got loaded and loaded and loaded and loaded. And the highest load is just before the break takes place. But Jesus never broke. So he was tested beyond what you and I will ever get tested. And he carried the load. He shouldered the load so that you and I could have freedom in him. You see all of this in the birth narrative. And you see this incredible virgin birth, the birth that took place because there was no man involved. Doesn't it remind you that when Jesus was born, 800 and odd years after Isaiah prophesied that there would be a sign given, that there would be a virgin that would be with a child. Isn't it amazing that God actually executes, that he fulfills his promise? God is in control of history. You read the birth narrative, you know that God is in control of history. And what does it do? It allows you to look at the politics and the economy and global warming and whatever else it is that bothers you, with a big picture in mind, God is in control of history. God promised Moses that he would send somebody like Moses 1,400 years in advance. And then 800 years in advance, he tells Isaiah to prophesy to King Ahaz who wouldn't listen to him and wouldn't trust him. And he says one day there's going to be a sign and that sign will be a judgment on Ahaz, who wouldn't trust me. There will be a virgin that will be with a child. By the way, for the, for the, for the people that are naysayers that, that say that the word virgin doesn't really mean virgin, a woman that hasn't been with a man, it is now authoritatively been established that the word is not used in the context 
in, in any other context. It is true that there are multiple words that you can use, but the specific use of this word has been clarified properly through modern scholarship that it does mean virgin. So if somebody tells you otherwise, tell them to get lost. It's been, it's been clarified. It has been uh, properly debated that the word does actually mean that. And think about this. Logically, if Isaiah said to King Ahaz, God is going to produce this majestic sign, this majestic sign to you because you haven't trusted him, there's going to be a woman that's going to have a baby. I mean, what, what's the sign in that? It has to mean, it has to mean that there was a supernatural intervention by God with a virgin, somebody that hadn't been with a man because it needed to produce a new human race. You see this in the birth narrative. God's control of history, God's supreme command of history. You see God's faithfulness. God promised, even in Genesis 3.15, Ek sal jou die kop vermorsel en hy sal jou in die hakskeen bait in the Afrikaans, it says. will strike... He will strike your heel and you will crush his head. That the, Jesus at the cross would always crush the head of Satan underfoot. You know, we think about the, that, that heel that was shaved, uh, chafed when it was moving up and down on the cross. You know, we think about that and you think of that as a picture of how the head of the snake, the head of Satan, the uh, picture of Satan is a snake, how he got crushed underfoot. God always promised that he would do something, that there would be an intervention. And thousands of years later, he does it. So we see God's faithfulness in the birth narrative. So I want to say to you that God was faithful to his word, and he's faithful to you and to me. When God says he will do something, he will do it. He communicated this millennia in advance. And then we think about People, the people that are involved in this birth narrative. You know, Joseph and Mary, they're not special people. They're not people that are kings or that are growing up in the courts of, of Herod or, or in a palace or they are wealthy. They are extremely poor, extremely poor. When they go and sacrifice, they can't even afford a, a proper sacrifice. They've got to produce a little bird, a little dove or something to sacrifice. That, that's, it's only the poorest that, that, could, that had to do that because they didn't have something else to sacrifice. They were ordinary people. So I want to say to you this morning that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things through Mary and Joseph. And it says Mary pondered these things in her heart. God did extraordinary things through Joseph and through Mary. And he will do the same through you. So I want us to think a little bit this morning about the year that's gone by. If you think about this birth narrative that speaks so many things to us, think about the year that's gone by. God, God wants to do something with you and me. He wants to use us. He wants to use our lives. He wants to do something in the coming days and in the coming years. I was recently challenged by another person that passed away. Actually, somebody that we knew quite well that was in our church, but that made bad decisions. 
and now he's gone. Young guy, gone. Not on planet earth anymore. But the question I'm asking myself is, have you fulfilled what God expected you to fulfill in this lifetime? Not to waste life. A friend of mine just told me this holiday. She said to me, we must live for every day. I said, yes, we must. But we don't live for pleasure. We live for God's will. We submit what it is that we want to do today to God's will. When Gideon asks God for a sign, he's not asking God for a sign because he's not believing God. He's asked God for a sign to ensure that he's doing the right thing. That he is actually in the will of God. When Isaiah preaches the sign to King Ahaz, it's a sign of judgment. When Gideon asks God for a sign, he wants to make sure that he's in the will of God. It's not uncertainty. It's proof that he's in the will of God. Once God says, yes, you're in my will, he does what he thought he was going to do anyway. I wonder if God hadn't given him the sign whether Gideon would have done what he did. Would he have gone to fight the enemy? I think he would have. He was convinced this is what he needed to do, but he asked God to confirm it. God wants to do something with you and with me in this year to come. So I want to convince you this morning that God speaks to us through Jesus by just showing you a couple of things in the birth narrative. There's a lot more we can say about this. But he wants to speak something into your life and into my life for now, for the year that's gone by, and for the year that's coming. So my encouragement to you is this holiday season, go and submit your year to him and say, Lord Jesus, what are you telling me for this year? God forbid that we go on holiday and we just have a physical break, but we don't delve into the depths of the spirit of Jesus so that we engage with him so we can get spiritually refreshed. God forbid that we purely use the holiday season to chill out and relax because we're tired and we make no effort to engage with God because that's where the refreshing comes from. Refreshing doesn't come just from physical rest. We do need that too. Jesus took his disciples aside to give them some rest. It is true. We need that. The seventh day is usually a, a day that we rest because we've got to rest sometimes. You can't just work, work, work. But refreshment comes from finding God's face, from engaging with Jesus, allowing Jesus as the word, the message, to speak to us and to speak life into us and to speak refreshment into us for the year to come. So my encouragement to you is do it. Let's do it. Let's say to him, Lord, tell me this year what did not go so well. Tell me what went well. What are you pleased with? And Jesus, where I'm at right now, I know you want to move me on. I know that you want to move somewhere, that we're on pilgrimage. I want to do this with you. W would you show me what it is that you desire of me? How can I do this with you? Forget the things that have gone wrong. You, you look at them, you, okay, that's what's gone wrong. I need to make some adjustments. Oh, that went really well. God's pleased with that. I can do that again. 
But God's got a plan for you and for me, for, for us as a community, for the year to come. Let's engage with Him. God is communicating, not through the prophets at many times and in various ways anymore, but through His Son. He's communicating through His Son. His Son wants to take us somewhere. Jesus is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. He's the firstborn. He's gone before. He's the manager of God's estate, of the kingdom that you and I are part of, privileged to be part of. So let me pray for you. Yes, Lord Jesus, I just want to present us as a community before you this morning. I want to present us as individuals. We only took a brief look at what you've done, God, what you did 2,000 years ago, what you did when Jesus was conceived, when he was born, but also how he lived his life and how he was crucified for our sins. And we read there in Hebrews how he was seated at the right hand of the Father after having provided purification for sins. That there's an inheritance associated with Jesus, that we are that inheritance, that he's our big brother, that Hebrews tells us that he's not ashamed to call us brothers, that I will declare your name to my brothers. He says of you, I will declare your name, O God. So Jesus, I want to ask that you would enlighten the hearts of those who are serving you, that you would show us what it is that was pleasing to you, that you would show us what was displeasing to you, that you would help us to see what you have for us for the, for the year to come, that we'd be able to engage with you. Lord, I really want to ask that you communicate, that you talk to us, that we would be searching scriptures not to be intellectual and to try and be clever, but we'd search the scriptures so that we'd be able to find the message of Jesus. Lord, you, you are written all over the pages of scripture. And that's what we're seeking. We want to find you, O oh God. We want to find you. And we, we really want to serve you in this year to come. So I pray for every individual that's here this morning that uh, you'd engage with them as individuals, that you would give them a message for the year to come, that they would come back in the new year fired up. And wherever they go, people going back, traveling back to Canada and up north to Bloemfontein, Lord, that you would send them with a message and send them with something that they can grab a hold of and take into the new year because you've got plans. And plan, your plans are not same old, same old. We're on pilgrimage. We move along. Oh, God, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I was a bit all over the place this morning. I have so much that I want to share with you and... I'm cognizant of time. It's already gone too long. But uh, do yourself a favor. Just go read that, that story in Luke 24 where uh, Jesus is talking to the, the people, those, those two guys from Emmaus on the road to Emmaus. And, and that's really your model that you want to use. And uh, I'm quoting Michael Eaton. He knows it. And, um, and uh, it, it's a fascinating story, though, because you will see that, number one, Jesus comes at them through the Scriptures. And then... Thank you. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. When Jesus talks to the people from Emmaus, 
What he does not do is show them who he is and says, look, here I am. I've been resurrected. He goes to the scriptures and then he shows them from the scriptures how it was prophesied that this would happen, that God is faithful, God controls history, that God does what he says he will do, and that he has done it. And that they can now believe what's gone before and grab a hold of that. And only then they recognize him. And you see that. But he rebukes them. He says, how foolish you are. It's slow of heart to believe. We don't want to be like that. We are like that. But we don't want to be like that. We don't want to be like King Ahaz. We actually paid no attention to Isaiah's warning. If he'd listened to Isaiah, things would have turned out very differently for them. But he didn't. We want to be the people of faith. We want to be the people that grab a hold of that which God has grabbed a hold of us, of us for and, uh, and live it out in this coming year. So a bit all over the place this morning. I hope you got something out of it. Uh, I trust that you'll have a, a great holiday season. There's going to be a service next week, Sunday. I guess it's also not going to be a, a lot of people. But if you're here, welcome to come and join us. And uh, have a blessed week. And if you're going away, travel safely. If you're going on holiday, please go safely, travel safely. And remember, find out what God is saying to you in this coming year and in the coming days. Amen. Bless you, God.